When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do I look? <laughs> I feel like we should whisper this entire this entire episode. We should just whisper. I really just whisper and multi-track it, like layer five whisper tracks on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. You just don't understand, dude. Like you don't understand it. If you went to the coffee shop that I go to, you'd totally get Bon Iver, bro. If you owned an axe, you would get it. I own an axe. I've been to the woods, Tyler. <laughs> I've been camping once. How many times do you have to go camping before you write a Bon Iver record? Just accidentally, you mean? Yes. Get broken up with and just go into the woods with a guitar before you come out with this, this stuff. I would love to know what's going on over at Pitchfork because they... Certainly gave Grizzly Bear's second album, Yellow House, a pretty great review about a year or two before Bon Iver released their first album, his first album, because this is just a guy. Uh, and that first Bon Iver album is literally just Grizzly Bear, minus the edges, the layers of fuzzy noise obscuring the lyrics, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's why I didn't get the attention right there. Well, but then the Bonnie Bear album comes along and Pitchfork gives it practically the same score. What's the metric? Do the people who write for that website talk to each other at all? I doubt it. They probably don't. They live in different parts of the country. Also, if you want to go real talk, then we need to take another step back to who Grizzly Bear was definitely spending a lot of time listening to, which is the microphones. But most Bonnie Bear fans are not ready for that. So mm. you're excused. Just, just give it up. Uh, this is going to be one of those episodes that a lot of people are like, I don't even know what Bone Iver is. Who the fuck is Bony Bear? Yeah, that's going to be a really common theme. And if that is you, if you hit play on this episode and you're like, I don't even know what the fuck this is. Well, do yourself a favor. Keep it that way. And keep it that way. Because <laughs> if you dive into Bony Bear... For the first time, depression is yeah, on the list. You're just going to bum yourself Yo, out. The chances of you going on Prozac after listening to this dude's music is very high. A lot of Bon Iver's entire thing is essentially what if In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins was an entire band and it never got around to the part where the drums come in. <laughs> yeah. Can I do this whole thing just by writing wispy things on a guitar and then having... Everything in the background just be kind of just like. I would love to know how many Bonnie Vare fans complained about that. Uh, somebody that I used to know song by Got Ye when it came out, you know, after the first time they heard it and they had to go make sure it wasn't the new Bonnie Vare single. Then they could complain about it being so popular. It was like, what the fuck do you think you're listening to? You think what you're listening to is better than that? <laughs> that first album for Emma is torture. Absolute torture to listen to. Top to bottom, one of the most depressing things I have ever had to listen to 
for an episode of this godforsaken podcast. <laughs> that is one of the albums that I was like, I don't know if I want to do this show anymore. I'm so sad. I had to go hug my kids and tell them I love them because I was so depressed. It's depressing shit. I get it, dude. Your girlfriend broke up with you and you went to the fucking forest and recorded an album. Oh my God. Maybe you didn't need to show the world. That's true. It's a very, very depressing album, but it's also just a horrible listening experience, purely musical level. Like, I don't know how anyone can stand how dare you the acoustic guitar part on the second song. And that that is probably the most extreme example of how repetitive a lot of this album is. But this album is just so repetitive because Homeboy didn't even think he was making an album. He was pretty sure that he was just making demos that he would then go turn into a real album later. But everyone he played it for was like, no, bro, this is exactly as basic as this should be (laughs) for Damien Rice fans to pretend they're branching out to more experimental artists. (laughs) That's actually that's actually like pretty much brilliant. I like Damien Rice. Therefore, the next logical step is something a little bit more, a little little bit more raw. Right. Exactly. Hold on. I like Damien Rice and I smoked too much weed at his concert. Someone I heard someone say, do you listen to this? And then it's like a gateway drug. You know what I mean? I do. It's a gateway drug for weird shit. This guy recorded this in the, in a cabin in the woods. People cannot get enough of. Also, if you're curious about like why this first album broke, it's not because of the music that's on it. And it's definitely because of the story that's around it. Because every act right now is so fucking boring that I can guarantee you that the second the story of how this album got made, whether it's even true or not, by the way, the story of how this album got made comes across a publicist's desk. They're going to take this dude on pro bono. They know for a fact they can get every music site to write about how this dude got all sad and went off into the woods to a hunting lodge for months in the middle of a Wisconsin winter and came back with this album that encapsulates his heartbreak or whatever. But then you press play on the album and it's like, all right, when this dude was out there in the woods, was he doing animal sacrifices to Satan? Because that is the only thing that would explain how much attention this album has received. That's the story we're telling you. You believe us, right? Because if you just listen to the album, you would just be depressed. But you listen to the album and you buy into the story. Delete the story from this album and, and nobody see cares. how many people care. Uh, oh, and for everyone who does want to pretend that this isn't just this guy's version of Grizzly Bear, and you're going to say that Justin probably doesn't even know who Grizzly Bear is. Well, he tweeted a bunch of shit about how mad he was that Grizzly Bear didn't win a Grammy Award in 2012. So he 100% knows who that is. Probably fair to say, yeah. If Bonnie Iver has ever at any point rocked your world for musical reasons, then you certainly need to go listen to everything that Scott Walker started doing in the late 1970s, both with the Walker Brothers and his solo stuff. We're talking the Walker Brothers Night Flights album and his solo album Climate of Hunter. That is the good shit. And Scott was obviously not using a vocoder, but as far as I'm concerned, the second Bon Iver started using one to get sounds like that on top of the arrangements he's using, even though he's ostensibly making a product for people who get drinks at Starbucks and would piss their pants if they ever heard Scott Walker, he threw his hat in the ring with Scott Walker. And there's no question who's walking out that the winner. A lot of Bon Iver fans are absolutely the same people that will listen to overproduced pop music and with their friends and sipping on their Starbucks lattes, make fun of auto tune and how auto tune sounds like shit. And none of these people can actually sing. 
All the while listening to Boney Vare. He was using auto-tune on that first album. He for can't sure. sing. I don't, I don't know if people think that auto-tune is expensive and like only pop stars have access to this or whatever. <laughs> Dude, but anybody if has you it. Buy, <laughs> if you buy an Apple computer, you have auto-tune. Yeah. That's what he used to record that first album on. He multi-tracked six different vocal tracks where he's basically just like breathing and whispering because he can't sing and is still having to auto-tune even just that. How'd you get that sound? Well, I auto-tuned my breathing and I put it behind my auto-tune singing. Also, why it's very difficult for him to pull off these songs. I did witness one of the songs when he was trying to pull it off live, and he lacks some of the vocal range that is on the album very obviously live because he doesn't have 25 tracks of him singing to himself in the background, slightly off key or something. I don't know, whatever he does. I think fans of Bonnie Vare probably think this dude leaned into blatant use of a vocoder as some kind of creative decision, but he definitely just can't sing. If I'm going to make music, this is the music I'm making because I can't sing. So yeah, that's exactly, we're going to do something different. I don't want you to auto-tune me. I'm going to like, uh, I'm going to do this, uh, what is it, a vocoder? It sounds great. Let's do that. We can write you a Bonnie Vera song pretty easily. I, I, would think. I, I feel like we should. Uh, any musician spending months alone in a cabin with modern digital recording gear can figure out how to breathe into a microphone while barely engaging their vocal cords, do it five different times, auto-tune it until it sounds like something more than what it actually is. Before he figured out the vocoder for concerts thing, they used to just pass out lyrics. They used to pass out sheets of paper with lyrics on them to the audience at shows so that the crowd would sing along with him. Kind of mask how bad he was actually singing. Ultimately, it's pretty weird to me that this guy does things for any kind of an audience because most of the methods and ways that he goes about things make it seem like he's really just trying to hide behind all of these other things. Is he singing... Uh would you consider it to be like a, a falsetto the whole time? Definitely. Like well, not, well, he started using his real voice. He started okay. using his chest voice later. All the early stuff is falsetto. I could go for miles. Like he's singing like that, but he's using like a vocoder to like change the sound of it. The vocoder stuff, a lot of it is his chest voice, his real voice. So okay. the, the, okay. the whole like origin story of the first album is he was in a different band, North Carolina, I think. And he sang with his real voice and he would make fun of it in early interviews and say that he thought he sounded like uh, Darius Rucker, like uh. a hootie kind of voice or something and that he didn't like it. And then they were covering some soul song or something. So he decided to switch over to a falsetto that stuck. And that's the way he kept doing it. Gotcha. On the later albums, especially when he's using the thick vocoder sound, like the really wet vocoder sounds. Yeah. Uh, that's his chest voice. You can hear his chest voice on that uh, Taylor Swift album oh, too okay. that's yeah, what he yeah. sounds like when he's really singing uh, yeah if what you've listened to a bon Iver and then seeing him live singing without it must be like a very jarring experience well he has it now he's got a live vocoder thing um, i know out. but like but even if he, if he doesn't use it or even on songs that he doesn't use it on it's got to be a bit jarring it's just so used to hearing him you know what I mean? You're like, I don't know what he's saying, but it's pretty. Nobody knows well, what he's like, saying. Yeah, because like, it's of course it's pretty. Like I could literally have said, I fucked your mom. <laughs> and like you would have been like, oh my God, it sounds so good. I hope Bonnie Bear, if you listen to this, please come out with a song. <laughs> Call that fucked your mom. Fuck your mom. <laughs> please. I wouldn't want any writing credit. It's all you. Fucked your mom and she liked it. Oh yeah, she did. Fucked her in the house. I wrote this record in. The juices are flowing. I'm feeling creative here. 
now that we've sold a bunch of shirts, maybe people will start responding to them wearing our shirt. We get tagged in posts all the time, I see. Yeah, if you get a shirt. At yfbspod.com. I want to hear the stories. Oh, I definitely want to hear some stories. I bet it's a lot of people laughing at the shirt. I bet when you're walking around in a shirt that says your favorite band sucks on it, you get a lot of people who aren't dumb as fuck going, that shirt's funny. I hope. It's a great conversation starter or ender. If you're a single person and you're someone that goes on dates, you should buy a shirt and wear it on a date. Mm-hmm. It's a great litmus test. Figure out right away. Oh, this person I'm going on this date with, his favorite band is Weezer. Text your friend. Hey, uh, can you call me in a minute and tell me that you really need my help? Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. One of the weirdest things about the conversations that are had around Bonnie Vare is that the word folk gets thrown in the mix all over the place. And there is virtually nothing folky about any of this. It's just soft music with a ton of space in the arrangements. Just because there's an acoustic guitar on stage and this dude looks like he was crying before he came out here and is going to go cry some more after the show does not make this folk music. Him knowing how to kill a deer does not make this folk music. Calling Bon Iver folk music makes about as much sense as calling Sugar Rose folk music because these two bands are basically the same band. And it's certainly the same genre of music, which is just sad bastard shit where the audience doesn't want to know or understand the words because then they wouldn't be able to pretend the guy is sad about the same thing they're sad about, which is literally the opposite of what folk music is and does. What's a good genre name for bands that do Alt-J, Cigarose, uh, Bon Iver, and so many other bands where they just literally sing gibberish words? Is crying in the Starbucks drive-thru too many words for a genre of music? Or just call it Starbucks drive-thru. Frappuccino records. Frappuccino rock. Frappuccino sad, rock could be good. Sad lattes. Uh, sad latte. Sad latte genre. It's the sad latte genre, meaning you could actually drink a latte and also sing the words because there are no words at the same time. It's fucking magic. These bands <laughs> are brilliant at it if you think about it. You don't have to say anything. You just sing it in a really pretty falsetto. The second Bon Iver album is basically, oh, I didn't realize millions of people were going to start paying attention to this thing as soon as I started doing it. And I have no idea what to do next. So I'm just going to start doing everything at once. Really what it sounds like is a few people must have brought up the microphones to him in conversation. Maybe he hadn't even heard of the microphones, but he goes, checks it out. And is like, well, I mean, this is definitely what I should try to do next. But it's still just like repetitive, non-engaging. Half the songs on the album are the same song at different speeds. I'm not sure how people can tell they're listening to two different songs when they hear Holocene and Towers. They're sequenced one after the other, and the verses are exactly the same. Well, it's a concept that your tiny brain doesn't get, Tyler. It's just the same song at different speed. Dude, it's fucking brilliant. You think he's onto something? Yes, I think that's genius. What if, okay, hear me out. We have 10 albums. We have to write 10 songs to fulfill our, our duties to the record label. What if we just write four songs and tweak them a little bit? A little bit. You will slow, basically take this song and slow it down and we'll put, say, a different name and I'll mumble different words over the top of it. And there's two songs right there, dude. I'm positive the third Bonnie Iver album alienated a ton of his fans because it's definitely the best and most interesting thing that he's done. There are moments on that one where he finally figures out how to play with the empty space in a song instead of just pretending that empty space is a song. 
There are moments when he finally figures out extreme use of a vocoder as if it's an instrument itself instead of trying to layer vocals in a way that sounds like real singing. Fuck it, I'm a robot now. Right. That's great. But it's also not like that automatically makes this the best album of all time or even the best album of the year or probably even the week it came out because a lot of it still is terrible. A lot of it is just the same shit he was already doing. It just sounds a little bit different. It definitely falls into the album category of I just nuked half my fucking fan base with this album. <laughs> Which you know what I, mean? like, I always at least respect. Yes. Hence why you even acknowledge it's probably the best thing he did up to the date that moment. Because you're like, oh shit, you really did just fucking annihilate your whole fan base. Awesome. This is killer, dude. I love this. All his fans are like, what the fuck is this? dude? Like, I just broke up with my girlfriend. I, this is, I don't relate to this. Where's this sad shit about living in the woods or something? I have no frame of reference for what you're doing to me right now, Boney Bear. <laughs> this, this is not folk. This is no longer folk music. I feel like I need to sell my axe. My lattes just don't taste the same. To be clear, when we're talking about Boney Bear fans, I assume we're talking about a ton of people who've never heard like Black Moth Super Rainbow. So they have no context for the way that this guy is using a vocoder. It's hilarious to think about yeah. like the first... Super fans of the first two albums. Press play on this third album. Okay, he's doing some different shit now. Yeah. And I would love to see, which maybe there are some. Reactions. Yeah, people who filmed their reaction to listen sure. to it for the first time on YouTube. There's got to be some great ones. They're going, okay, all right. Why does this sound like <laughs> bugs <laughs> and piles of leaves being crunched? I could get into this, I think. I think I think I, I, think I could get into this. All the while, they're like slowly deleting Bon Iver out of their top favorite bands or something. Yeah, like I said, not the greatest album ever, but more power to this guy for at least giving Yo, a huge respect. fucking finger to most of his fans on that album. Mad respect for anybody that nukes their fan base. Uh, by the way, I have no intention of getting into this dude's lyrics at all. And I think it is ridiculous how many people have spent the time they've spent analyzing the potential meanings of these songs as if it's James Joyce or some shit when this guy has straight up said that he writes his nonsense lyrics the same way as everyone else who uses nonsense lyrics. He records himself mouthing gibberish syllables and fucks the, with the recording in all these different ways and listens to it until he thinks he starts to hear words. And then those are the words in the song. Unless you believe in spirit channeling or some shit, none of these songs mean anything. I, that is one of my favorite themes of this podcast in my favorite things to talk about anytime bands like this come up nirvana bon Iver, a lot of bands that we cover a lot of lyrics are literally bullshit made up words the fucking beatles on video saying we just wrote words <laughs> that rhymed there's no meaning you make up the meaning, which is fine, but don't pretend like that's the meaning of the song. Kurt didn't write songs that had any meaning. You make the meaning. It's pretty wild. It, it really rocks people's brains. I actually think it is actually something that people refuse to accept about a lot of the music that they enjoy is that it is meaningless, gibberish, rhyme scheming words. People want to make it part of their identity. Oh my God, I love this song. It means so much to me because of blah, blah, blah. And then they watch an interview with the artist and he goes, oh yeah, it means I like McDonald's French fries a lot, but then I really enjoy Wendy's Frosties at the same time. And your whole fucking identity is shattered. 
The thing that's crazy is Boney Iver's name doesn't even mean anything. His own name is telling you what he really thinks. It does mean something. It's just, it's kind of weird too, because he changed the Bon Iver is French for basically have a good winter, good winter to you. Like the way that you would say good morning, but about the season, but there's an H on the Iver part of it. He heard it on Northern Exposure. So he was just assuming what it was. He found out there was an H on it. He's like, mm, I don't like it that way. And so it just like scraps the H. For, I don't know. The guy's basically Canadian is the point of the story. He lives in, he's from Wisconsin, which is basically Canada. And he really embraced the Frenchness. Yeah. But imagine, imagine me saying that my name is Mark, but then you ask me how to spell it. And I just say A-R-K. And someone goes, Ark? No, no, no. It's Mark. I just don't like the M. What the fuck, dude? How does anybody take that serious? It blows my mind that anybody listened to that and goes, I mean, it makes sense to me, man. It really does. It really makes sense to me. Um, as far as the melodies go in Bonnie oh, Bear songs, shit. there are a lot of times where there's nothing melodic happening beneath the lead vocal at all. But when there is, both melodies are usually the same because this guy sings the riff perhaps more than Ozzy Osbourne does. Yeah, I thought so. Again, I, I'm not a musician, but I do feel like it's always kind of cheesy when somebody just plays a C chord and then sings like the note, the same exact fucking note. It's just he follows actually in his biggest songs. He's following it the whole time. I don't know how we're supposed to be saying the song titles because he formatted them all weird on the third album. But the last song on that album is a straight lift of the vocal melody from a song called Choices by George Jones, just in case anyone was trying to figure out where they may have heard that before. Cue those two songs up back to back and let me know how it sounds to you. You're telling me that he didn't have all original music? Either on purpose or accidentally jacked Choices by George Jones for the last song on that album. Mm -hmm. And he listens to country music, so this isn't some wild-ass conspiracy theory. Uh, the most recent Bon Iver album one that's called I, I, like just the letters I, I, is straight terrible from beginning to end. If anyone thought that that third album was a sign of, oh, this dude's about to like hit his stride and make some epic shit, that is not what happened. It also seems to have bombed. So I assume even people who are mad about this episode agree that this dude's latest album is complete trash. Mm. Love that nuke in the fan base. It's almost like he's trying to do that talking heads thing when they started working with Brian Eno and they would just set up a musical passage with nearly no chord changes and loop it in order to set up a groove, except on the Bonnie Iver album, there are no grooves, zero groove. It's like the worst version of a TV on the radio album. It's anti-groove. It's definitely anti-groove. If this Bonnie Iver album somehow blows your mind then you should put on literally anything that curtis mayfield ever recorded have a great time with that <laughs> have you considered listening to something else <laughs> what i don't even care honestly i don't even care just something else something we talk about a lot is if your biggest song is a cover it's kind of like the kiss of death and it's kind of gotta i gotta think it's a bummer when your biggest song is a cover what if your biggest song is somebody else's song and you're just a guest vocalist on the song? Is that like as big of a kick in the nuts? I'm sure he's stoked about being on that Taylor Swift album. Yeah, financially he's stoked and probably good. Well, I don't know. Do you think Taylor Swift fans actually... They don't even know how to listen to the record at the right speed. <laughs> True. 
They're definitely calling him Bon Iver. They're definitely thinking, who's this fucking weirdo on this song? Some percent of, which I will say, if only shit, if he picks up 5% of Taylor Swift's fan base, that's a shit ton of people. Hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. Yeah, million, maybe even a million. A lot of fucking Taylor Swift fans out He's there. He's probably got about like 5 million fans. That are, no that are actually like spending money on every, anything. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. True fans. Yeah, well, like the only ones that matter, not people who are, there's a way more people who are paying attention and shit, but as far as sure. people straight up spending money on shit, I'm going to go with like five to eight million. Yeah. Max. So some percentage of those people go, I like, what is Bon Iver? And they Google Bon Iver. Bon Iver, what's this? And then, you know, they're like tweens and they're like, I broke up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, whatever. And then they listen to that album. This is the gift that Bon Iver has given to the world. Yeah, I think he doesn't want to be famous is the thing. I definitely agree he doesn't want to be famous. Actually, if you look at a picture of him now, I would almost guarantee he does not give a fuck about being famous. (laughs) The picture that I sent you earlier, he does not give one flying shit about being famous, which I actually do give him credit for that. He looks like an extra from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. For sure. But if you're going to be on a Taylor Swift song, unfortunately, you are famous. You are now, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the shit show. Welcome to the party. Have fun. I think if I was his coach, and if you're listening to this, Mr. Iver, you need to now get Taylor to write a song about you. So if I were you, I would go on Twitter and I would say, hey, I wrote the whole Taylor Swift song. Dude, fucking (laughs) don't do that. You'll be dead within a week if you do that. I'm not. You will get fucking murdered if you do that. More than likely, your song with her will be somehow removed miraculously from every streaming site in the world. And And then you will be removed from the planet. (laughs) That's hilarious. But fuck, I cannot even. I just think it would be a great way to take his career to the next level. That's straight up committing suicide. Physically committing suicide. You could only bring yourself to do that if you have a death wish don't want to live to see the end of this day death wish but we would probably have to amend this episode i will formally state right now in conclusion of this entire episode i'll take back everything i said in this episode as soon as bonnie vare does an entire album of bon jovi covers oh shit you're going hard bon jovi yeah dude if he does that make it happen if he does that i say we re-release this this (laughs) (laughs) we're not gonna top that that's it that's it if your favorite band is bone ivor your favorite band You are welcome for listening to another Suspender Barista episode of Your Favorite Band Sucks. I did look to see if there were any reaction videos of Bon Iver fans hearing the album 22 A Million for the first time, and I only found two. The first was by a dude named John, that's J-O-N, John Denton, and I think he reviews a lot of music, so probably a more sophisticated listener than most, and he seemed to also appreciate the envelope being pushed on that album. But the other video was by a channel named Turning the Tables, and it's a kid playing the album for his dad for the first time. 
I didn't watch the whole thing, but the beginning was pretty damn funny because the kid's dad responded to the first song on the album by asking his kid at least three times if he was sure all the cables to their audio setup were plugged in correctly, which I would assume is about par for the course. Aight, when the podcast returns in a couple weeks, it is with an episode I've seen requested often since the very beginning of this show, so I know we're about to make a lot of people happy and a lot of people sad. Those of you who have any metalhead friends who don't actually like heavy music, you may want to give them a warning, because your favorite band Sucks is about to take on... Dream Theater. <laughs> 